Hi, I'm Ken. I'm an alcoholic. God, I wouldn't go bail for this crowd. I mean, <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is, looks like the night court I used to go to. You know, like, I, I didn't do it. <laughs> and if I did, it was his fault, you know. Hey, I'm really glad to be here. How many people have less than a year? We have a couple of people celebrating sick. Oh, that's great. That's great. Well, welcome to Alcoholics Anonymous, first of all. This is great stuff here. And you're going to be very busy in the first year. You know, very busy. Because you're going to be solving problems you don't have. <laughs> so, so that you can escape a reality you're not in. You know, so it, it, it's going to be hectic. But, but welcome here. You're going to hear yourself say things like, uh, you know, uh, I think I'm done second-guessing myself. Well, I think I am, you know, like, you know, but that's the deal. And learn to laugh. That laughter is really good. That's why we try to do this. That's the only reason I like to do this stuff is to see, see people and hear people laugh. Because I know a couple of things about laughter that most people don't know. It's an instant vacation when you, take, when you start to laugh, you know. The other thing is you can't laugh. God is so gracious. Uh, you can't laugh and think at the same time, you know. <laughs> So every time you're laughing, you're getting a break from you, you know? <laughs> you know? And, and if you're in the room, trust me, you need to break, you know? Like, you know? You know? <laughs> if there were a song for you, there'd be, I'm always on my mind, you know? Like, uh, that, that's just the way it is, you know? But welcome, you know, this is Alcoholics Anonymous. We don't care, you know, as if you're rich or poor. We don't care if you're black or white. We don't care if you're gay or straight. We don't care if you got here from Park Avenue or Park Bench. We don't care if you matriculated through Yale or came directly from jail. <laughs> you are welcome here. This is Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, that's the way it is. You're just welcome here. And the old timers used to say, you know, like, this is going to be fun. <laughs> and I love the old timers because they always tried to help. They didn't always help, but they tried to help, you know. You know, we have situations like uh, in San Diego several months ago, a guy was sharing at a meeting and, you know, and he said, uh, Three weeks ago, I was in a hot tub with five nude women and all the alcohol a man could want. And the old timers said, well, you won't have to go through that again, you know. <laughs> Thank God that's behind you, boy. <laughs> And, you know, they say this is a disease of perception, and it really is, because it's, it's just the way things happen, you know. I like to tell the story of the guy who was at the doctor's office, and he, and he said to the doctor, my wife has a hearing problem. And, and he said, your, your wife has a hearing? He said, yeah, and she has too much ego to come in and check it out. He said, well, we got this new deal. It's called the distance test. When you get home tonight, he said, go the furthest in your house you can go and talk to her, and then... Work your way in and let me know when she can hear you. And if you tell me that, I'll give her a call. We'll have a starting point. So he goes in the bedroom and he yells out, What's for dinner? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Moves in the living room. What's for dinner? <laughs> Nothing. Finally, he tiptoes into the kitchen, gets right behind her and goes, What's for dinner? <laughs> And she said, for the third time, steak, you know? And this is... It's only six inches from here to here, but what a battleground. I mean, I... <laughs> you know? What a deal here. And, and the deal is, you know, you, before you work on the problem, you have to know who has it, you know? I mean, when I grew up in Brooklyn, and, I, and I'm glad you had Kim read the, uh, read the uh, introduction to AA, our, our little deal, because it, he's a Westie boy from the west side of Manhattan, which is great, you know? 
They used to say, you know, how far is it to the subway? Well, we don't know. No one's ever made it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> he fell asleep in the trunk of a car. He deserved to be shot, you know, like that. <laughs> and then the movie, they stole our best line, you know, leave the gun, take the cannoli. You know, like uh, this is the deal here. You watch the guys from the west side, if one of them starts the New York Marathon, you can always tell he was a Westie or a, a guy from the west side because as soon as he fires the pistol for the starting gun, he throws it in the river. You know, like, it's like, <laughs> that's, that's like, hey, not me, it was the other guy, you know. <laughs> Unless you got a picture, it's not me, you know. But I grew up, and fortunately, I grew up in a neighborhood where all the guys were as uneducated as me. We didn't know we were uneducated, but, man, we got through school totally unscarred by education, you know? You know, I grew up with guys who thought that Moby Dick was a venereal disease, you know? Like, they, 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 had, they had no concept of this stuff whatsoever, you know? Like, what? Yeah, yeah, you know? You know? You say there's a dead bird, we look up, you know? Like, uh, you know, like, it was in a... We, 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 we had no idea what the hell it is, you know? And, and that's just the way we were. We just didn't know, you know? I took a guy to the, Christ, to the mall at Christmas time last year, and he looks down at the thing, and he says, uh, I said, we're, well, we're right here. And he says, how do they know? <laughs> I'm part of conversations where they say, you know, Nikki, if your mother didn't have children, there's a good chance you won't. Yeah. I mean, you know, my buddy Vinny, the nun said to him, how do you spell Mississippi? And Vinny said, you mean the river or the state? You know, like the, you know these are the guys, you know. And everybody I went to school with, their name began with A. It was A Tony, A Nicky, A Vinny, A Joey, A Petey. You know, like it was just, that's the way it was, you know. And, and we didn't know we were unscarred by education. And thank God we didn't because then we would have acted more stupid, you know. But the nice part about this growing up thing was that it was a learning process. You know, it was a learning process. We, have no, we had no idea what was going on around us. We knew the answer to everything, but we just didn't know any questions. You know, like, uh, we, you know, we were like guys standing on a whale fishing for minnow. You know, like, we, uh, we had no concept of reality. I mean, we do drive-bys once in a while, but, you know. Kind of like the guy at the bar who was with his wife, and he, and, he, and he leans in a little bit, and he says, I love you. And she said, is that you talking or the beer? He said, it's me talking to the beer. You know, like, uh, you know, you know? <laughs> but, but that's what's going on between here and here. You know, like, I mean, that's just the way it is. And, and this is the environment we grew up in, and I, we didn't know a whole lot. And in my family, you would divide it into two groups. Either you're in AA or you needed it. You know, my mom used to say the only time you kids ever say no to a drink is if you misunderstood the question, you know, like, uh, you know, everybody drank, everybody drank in the neighborhood, everybody drank all the time, everybody thought that drinking was what you would do, you know, and, and a lot of the people were Italian, a lot were Irish, you know, you know, and Irishmen, uh, you know, you talk about surrender, which is the theme for the weekend, surrender. Irishmen don't surrender real easy, you know. <laughs> The, the old timers used to say, when you see two Irishmen fighting over a woman, it's not the woman they want, it's the fight. You know, like, a, you know, and, and that's just the way we were. We didn't know how to surrender. And for you people who are in your first year and six months and six months, tomorrow night's the pork roast, I heard someone say. Tomorrow night's the pork roast. Go to breakfast. Go with your sponsor. Go to breakfast. And order the AA breakfast, which is bacon and eggs. 
That's the whole program, bacon and eggs, you know. The chicken was involved, but the pig was committed, you know. <laughs> and that's the way it works here. Either you're involved or you're committed, you know. There's a line in the 12 and 12, if you read it, and I, I, it's written there, so, I mean, if you can read it, like, third grade level in the Blue Jay group, you could read this shit. And it says, there is no, inqu there is no inquiring ongoing strength until you completely surrender. The word completely surrender. So that's the difference between people who have sobriety dates and hanging around dates. People have hanging around dates just never really surrendered. You know, they, they got close to the water but never wanted to get in. And they always have another reason. Oh, this time it will be different. Because this time I'm really going to think about this thing. Yeah. Is that funny or what? You know? I mean, that's like asking an, ar an arsonist to handle the matches. You know, like, a, <laughs> would you keep track of those? Yeah, okay. Yeah. So the deal is, is that, you know, we, we grew up in this environment. All I know is I drank a lot. I was court-ordered to a psychiatrist in, when I was in high school. That should have told me something, you know. I had some anger issues. My dad was dead. My mom was raising kids. And, and we just, like, kind of were going along in life. And, uh, and the psychiatrist, because I had a thinking pattern that didn't fit the norm, you know. And that's just, we all have thinking patterns that don't fit the norm. And that's why we're called abnormal. And, uh, and, and, and so he kept asking me what I was thinking, what I was thinking. And I, I didn't want to tell him what I was thinking, so I kept making stuff up. But at the time, what I was thinking was, if my knees bent the other way, what would chairs look like? You know? <laughs> And I knew that wasn't the right thing to share with a psychiatrist, you know. I had some intuitive thinking, you know. I knew before I knew I knew, you know. And that's just the way it was. And I remember, you know, getting into all kinds of trouble, you know. Like I used to find things before people officially lost them. And, uh, and, and in an AA, they had the thing that, you know, it's a, you know, we share our experience, strength, and health. Well, I knew that part. I grew up as a street kid, and I used to know that the saying in the street was very simple. When a man with experience meets a man with money, the guy who had the experience will end up with the money, and the guy who had the money will end up with an experience. You know, that's just, that's just the way it worked out. And so we kind of grew up fast mentally. Didn't grow up emotionally, didn't grow up spiritually, but grew up pretty fast mentally. Anyway, a lot of things happened, all too boring to go into, and not different than what you did. And I ended up, uh, my wife and kids had moved out of state to maintain some sanity. And uh, I ended up deciding to come to AA because everybody kept telling me I should. And the first night I showed up, I was in Brooklyn. I was wearing a blue wool suit. It was the 5th of July, 1970. <laughs> I had questioned somebody's ancestry in the bar, and I had what they call a barroom facial, you know, it was like a little... Uh, and somebody said, newcomer. I said, wow. <laughs> I was like impressed right away, you know. And then they said, if, if you want the miracle, sit up front. Oh, yeah, I'm here for the miracle. I mean, uh, you know, I, uh, I sure as hell wouldn't want to miss out on the miracle, you know. And that night we went for coffee, and, and I, I didn't realize it. The diners were made by Alcoholics Anonymous founders, you know. They always have a diner with a booth where it, the wall is the one side, and the newcomer goes in first. <laughs> And then the newcomer doesn't get out until everybody else gets out, you know. So these guys got in. There was a guy there. He said to me, I'm going to be your sponsor. And he was my, he said he wanted to be my temporary sponsor. And he was my temporary sponsor for 34 years. And, and you had to see this guy. I mean, this, he was a vision to behold, you know. He was a fighter who never won a round, you know. And he had a twitch. <laughs> 
And when he talked to you, he would like, be all over the place, you know? And he had a head that looked like it had already worn out two bodies, you know, like it, it was just... And if you questioned him about anything, he'd say, if you want what I have, And I did, and I did. <laughs> Shows you where I was at, you know? And in 1970, they had just come out with the first nine passenger station wagons, and the back seat looked out the back. And Fast Eddie and I always had to sit in the back seat. And I said to him one night, I was getting the deal, I was trying to look him in the eye, And I said, why does Fast Eddie and I always have to eat, sit in the back seat? And he said, I want you to see the wreckage of your past. <laughs> so I was over there every night at his house to eat because, as I said, my family had moved away, and he really knew that if he left me alone, I could get in trouble. You know? So I'd go over there. And then one night I was over there, we're eating, the phone rings. And man, his head started moving like the exorcist. It was all over the place. I thought it was actually going to spin around and spit some soup out or something. And uh, he said, we, we got a 12-step call. I said, oh, good, good, good. I had no idea what the hell a 12-step call was. He said, we got to go pick this guy up. So psh, we get in the car and we drive down to get this guy. And when we pull up, he says to me, uh, can you go get this guy? I said, what do you mean? He said, can you get him? I said, you know, I'm, I'm alcoholic. I'm not mentally retarded. You know, I can, I can go knock on the door and get him. And he said, okay, Ken, you go get him and bring him out. We'll take him to a meeting and we're going to give this guy a shot at the big life. Said, okay, I'm going to, I'll go get him. So he tells the story. He went around the block and when he came back, I have the guy on the ground, and I'm beating him with a garbage can lid. Sometime between the guy making the call and us getting there, he had what was known as a change of heart. <laughs> Which I have since found out he was entitled to. You know? <laughs> But at the time, this was my first AA assignment, you know. I didn't want to get a re bad report, you know. Now, I don't want to make it sound like it was an assault. I hit him maybe seven, eight, nine times, you know. But I could tell after the third shot that he was willing to turn his will and his life over. You know? like, he had that look like, okay, I'll go, you know. So my sponsor called me back into the car and we went down the avenue. He was, his head was all over the place. I think he was shifting with his mouth. You know? And he said, I want you to do me two favors. I said, what? He said, one, don't ever consider that a 12-step call. And he said, two, don't tell anybody I'm your sponsor for a while. You know? Let's see how this thing goes, you know. And that was my initiation in the AA, you know, like that was the way it happened. And, and we went and did 12-step calls. I mean, I put up with a lot of nonsense after that because the guys just never let up. Our home group on Wednesday night, uh, we used to go down a long alley to get into a church basement. And, you know, after that incident, when I came down the alley, they would start hitting the garbage can lids. <laughs> And as I got closer, they got louder, you know. And then they crescendo with, 12-step! <laughs> yeah. So, you know, when you make one little mistake, it's just amazing how they don't forget, you know. Some of those old-timers, I think, train elephants on how to remember, you know. Like, they, they just do that. 
And every night at the meetings, I'm sure you, you don't have this maybe in Cincinnati and Kentucky, but we have old timers that say almost the exact same thing. <laughs> to, to the word, almost. And we had a guy who used to say, if the wall is so high, you can't get over it. And so low, you can't get under it. Oh, I can't see what's coming next. You know? <laughs> and so wide, you can't get around it. Maybe. Just maybe. You belong on this side. <laughs> Do you know what that sounds like after drinking scotch and beer for 20 years? It sounds like one flew over the cuckoo's nest. You know, like a... What is he saying? But don't don't make fun of these guys. Don't. 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 Because it comes back to haunt you. Five, eight years later, I'm with a newcomer, and I hear myself saying, If the world... I say, oh my God, what happened to me? You know, what happened to me? I was just an everyday drunk. Now I'm quoting a guy who says the same thing at every meeting for 40 years, you know? But that's just the way it is here. We have a guy who just passed away last year, Frank. And Frank, every time he shared, would thank the newcomers. Thanks for coming. Thank the old timers. Thank for be thanks for being here. And he'd always end up saying the same thing, too. He'd say, I really needed you guys tonight. I really needed this meeting. This was when he had 45, 50 years. He said, because when I leave this meeting, I'm going home to a very dysfunctional house. And I live alone. <laughs> That's the kind of stuff you hear, you know? And it gets modern-day stuff. I came home from a meeting a couple of weeks ago. I said to Carol, you know, there's a couple that come to our noontime meeting on Saturday when I'm in town. I go to it. And they have a marriage that, remember that movie War of the Roses? They copied these Pope. These are the people who were the original War of the Roses. They said, unbelievable things. They used glue on each other's hands. I mean, they did stuff that you just couldn't imagine. So he was getting a 10-year cake, and she had two weeks more sobriety than him, and she gave, oh, they looked like, they looked like, you know, it was Romeo and Juliet now. And she gave him the cake for 10 years. And she went to walk away, and he put his arm around her, and he said, I bet in your wildest dream, you never saw yourself giving me a 10-year kick. And she looked at him so lovingly and said, you're never in my wildest dreams. <laughs> so the beat goes on, you know. The beat goes on. But that's the way life is. It's always happening, and it's always happening now. And that's why the best day of my life, the best day I ever had, is September the 19th, 2014. It's the best day I ever had. And it's the best day I ever had because it's going on now. That's why I'm so glad to be here with you guys right now, right here, doing this. Because if I wasn't here, I'd be absent. You know? And I'm so belong enough, I want to hang out where I am. You know? When I show up, I want to be there. You know? Do you ever sit down in a meeting and they start the meeting at 8 o'clock punctually and you're sitting in a chair but you haven't arrived? <laughs> You're parking the car, fighting with the neighbor, you know, spatting with the spouse, you know, telling the employee what he can do with his job, you know, whatever it is, but you haven't arrived. 
You're there, but you're absent. If we call the role of people present, you could show a hand, but that's about it. And so being in this moment is where it's all about. And, you know, I hear people say, you know, you've started out as a disease of perception. You hear people say, this is a miracle. And that's a miracle. Everything is a miracle. All a miracle is, is a freedom from a misperception. That's all it is. In our minds, we thought it couldn't happen, and now we're watching it happen. That's all it is. It's part of the perceptional deal. We just don't know. It's like the guy who asked his Al-Anon wife, thinking he was going to get a great answer. He said, do you ever think of other men when we're having sex? And she said, no, there's never enough time. (laughs) This is... This is the world and the mind we live with, you know. It's a, you know, we're there, but uh, we still aren't there, you know. And and Bill and the boys knew that, and that's why they they wrote the, the literature the way they did. They knew who they were going to be dealing with, you know. I mean, uh, that's why they camouflage stuff like how it works. <laughs> Well, that sure as hell snuck up on me. (laughs) They read it at every meeting in our area, you know. Wow. How it works. You know? know? Did you ever see somebody just sit there and think, wow. So this is how it works, you know. Next thing you know, they'll be telling me there is a solution. (laughs) Oh, there is. Oh, okay. You know? That's that's just the way it is. And you can't have talk with real people, you know, the the non-alcoholic, because their thought pattern is very erratic. You know? You know, they ask you questions and you give them answers like, you know, does it bother you when I drink? No, but it would bother you if I did. (laughs) You know, (laughs) the world we live in. So I got into this AA deal. I started doing these steps. My sponsor and I sat down. We went through the steps just the way they're written in the big book. We didn't make up any other stuff. He didn't have any other literature. We didn't go to seminars, postgraduate work. We, we just kind of read what was in the book, you know. It's a very, very amazing thing. <laughs> this is the book of AA. I nicknamed it the owner's manual, you know. If you have a question, it's an owner's manual. It's right in the book. Let's see if we can find it. Having trouble with God. Ooh. Oh, maybe there's something in there about that, you know. There's an answer to everything right in the book. And people say, what's the role of a sponsor? The role of a sponsor is very easy. It's to point to the book. (laughs) And the sponsees, your responsibility is don't bite our fingers. You know, like, uh, it's over there. Get in and do this. This is where the answer is. What do you think they wrote the book for? You know, it's, it's a doormat. You know, it it doesn't work that way. So we did it just the way it was in the book. And after about two years of being separated from my family, we decided to get back together again. And uh, and to make a long story short, we just couldn't stay in the area we were in. Too many things had happened. You know, I had done some things that made the paper, and uh, my kids would get questions in school like, oh, is that your... So we decided we were going to move. By that time, I was four years, almost four years sober talked to my sponsor and said I was going to do this. He said, where are you going? And I said, well, you know, I'm a highly educated fool. <laughs> and the furthest you can go in a car in the United States heading west is California. So I'm going to California. Do you know anybody there? No. Ever been? Nope. Ever, anybody in AA out there? Nope. Have a job? Nope. <laughs> so I'm pretty prepared to go, you know. <laughs> I've checked off all the boxes. 
So he said to me, do me a favor. I said, what's that? He said, when you get there, wherever you decide to, wherever you're at, for the first six months, go to some church. He said, I know you're not a church goer, but go to some church and uh, see if you can't get some extra juice by doing that because you're going to be away from everything that is your, what we would call your support system. So we get in the car and we go 3,000 miles or more to California and we decide we start out in San Diego and then work our way north. And so got there on a Saturday and went to church on Sunday as I had promised him I would. And when the service was over, we went over to the little rec hall to have coffee and donuts. And the Irish priest who said the mass came in and came over and said, are you folks going to be living in the parish? And I said, I don't know. It depends on a lot of things. And he said, well, let me introduce myself. My name is Bill Wilson. <laughs> I had just taken a mouthful of coffee. <laughs> and I said, excuse me, Father, I didn't hear what you said. He said, my name is Bill Wilson. So the very first person I met after a 3,000-mile journey was Bill Wilson. He said, uh, are you looking to rent or buy? And I said, oh, we're looking to rent. We can't be sure. So he said, well, when we're done here, come over to the rectory, and this guy in the parish might be able to help. So went over to the rectory, went through some cards, handed me a card. Bob Smith Realty. <laughs> now, I'm a pretty intuitive guy. And I was feeling right away something was happening, you know. <laughs> I met Bill Wilson, who introduced me to Bob Smith. First two names I had in California. And that father, Bill Wilson, this was in 74, came into Alcoholics Anonymous in 1976. And he stayed until he died in the 90s. And he got to speak everywhere. Why wouldn't he speak? I mean, an Irish priest with a brogue with the name Bill Wilson. <laughs> and he and I became such great friends, and, and he, was, he was just my kind of drunk. He had absolutely no sense of sanity. <laughs> he used to drink black and white scotch, and if some of you are old enough to remember the black and white scotch bottles, there were two Scotty dogs on it. And he used to call me in the middle of the night and say things like, Oh, Kenneth. <laughs> I took the puppies for a walk last night. <laughs> and they got off the leash instantly. And, and he'd get to speak after he came in, he'd get to speak everywhere. And I mean, he, when he went to speak, he was like the nativity scene. People were like, oh, Bill Wilson, Bill Wilson. And then, of course, he was, a, if you ever met him, he was about six foot two, good, lean body, and he used to talk with his hand and tucked inside his pants. You're not a bishop, you know. <laughs> <laughs> You're a drunken priest trying to stay sober, for God's sake. You know, you're up there like a pontiff. And he used to tell this story that one of his great stories that he used to tell was that when he was drinking, it, he was going to say the mass for the nativity, uh, not for the nativity, for the ascension of Mary into heaven. You know, if you're a Catholic, you know what that means. If you're not, don't worry about it. But it's supposed to be when Mary, Mary goes up into heaven. I love it too. I, you know. <laughs> And he said he wrote down this, he was writing his talk for the next day, and, and he had decided that he was going to say, ask a question, and then deliver this punchline answer, just as any drunk would do. It was going to be, it was going to, Catholics all over the world would ring bells. I mean, they were, the Pope would resign and make him the Pope. I mean, that's, that's how good he thought the talk was. So he got up there, and of course he had visited with the puppies. 
And he, he was going to say, is it because we celebrate the assembly? Is it because she's the mother of God? No. And then he had a couple of deals, and then he was going to... And he said, I could actually see the people leaning forward. And then he said, I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> so after 15 or 20 minutes of that, they all leaned back in their seats and started to doze off, you know. And I tell you that story because that's all of us. All of us. We all have a grand thing going on here. And when it comes out here, <laughs> totally free of any kind of intelligence, <laughs> common sense, experience, just pops out like a gumball. You know? And you say, it's not even my best color. You know? And the whole world is going crazy. You know? like, and that's the way Alcoholics Anonymous works. I have seen in my own life the ability to recognize that I am powerless. There's a line in our text that kind of sums up everything for me. It says, there is one who has all power. That one is God. May you find him now. You know, not Thursday, not Friday, now. And that's where God hangs out. He's always in the now. And when you hear people say, I feel disconnected, I feel this, I have a hole in my chest, whatever they're suffering from, it's the fact is they're disconnected from this moment. We spend so much time getting ready for events that will never happen. We're better prepared to solve problems nobody ever gives us. <laughs> you know? I used to be able to sit in a lazy boy for the whole day. You know, remember, reflect, plan, and not do a thing. <laughs> Go to bed exhausted. <laughs> Solving problems nobody asked me to solve about people I don't even know. And then wonder why I got up the next day thinking, wow, better get started in that lazy boy early. You know? <laughs> Nothing's been done since I went to sleep. You know? And that's the way we are. We just, we just lose track of what's really happening. But that's the deal. There is one who has all power. Now, when you're talking to a newcomer, you have to be really careful. Say the word, all. Uh. <laughs> Say the A sound, all. Because as soon as you're done explaining it to a newcomer, they say, okay, he has all the power? Yeah, okay. So how much do I have? <laughs> okay, Sparky. <laughs> we'll go a little slower, you know. Let's take that word and break it down. It's a very tricky word. A-L-L. I'm doing this in English, not in Latin. So he has all of the power. Okay. Got it. So now what do I do? Well, you see, you're powerless, but you're not helpless. You can do things to improve to the situation to the best of your ability, but you can't affect the outcome as far as how it can. You just got to do the legwork, you know. And while you're doing that, it's getting done, you know. And, and, you, and you have to be willing to let go, you know. Turn your will in your life over to the care of God. And you have people who don't re know anything else about the book, but when you ask them to do that, they'll quote the big book. And they'll say, it says right here, if I continue to do that, I'm going to be like the hole in the donut. You are the hole in the donut. <laughs> and thank God you are. Because donuts come and go, but the hole is always there. <laughs> and it's that hole that connects us to the infinite. That's what connects us, is that hole. And it doesn't matter what's going on up here in Disneyland, you know. I don't care if you got an E ticket or a B ticket. It doesn't make any difference. You know, the hamster's dead, but the wheel will keep turning. You know, that's just, that's just the way we are, you know. And, and so, and you, and you realize that some of these folks have spent a whole life 
out there where the buses don't run. You know? The bu you know, like, I, I, I don't know what that is, you know? That's your foot. Oh. oh, oh. They, they don't know because they don't know. In the meantime, they know what they don't know, but they think they know. You know? And it gets tricky after a while, you know? That's why I, I like, you know, having the advantage of look my sponsor right in the eye and, and be able to do something, you know? And that's the way it is if you're sponsoring someone. You've got to give them the ability to do what they need to do until they find out they don't need to do it. You're not going to short-circuit their experience. That's why we have a higher power, and that's what that higher power does. And you, it, a lot of times you get, you know, there's, in the 12 and 12, in the 12th step it says, to live a happy life, you must learn to play the cards you're dealt. Not hang out and pray for other cards. Learn to grow where you're planted. You know, be who you are, you know. If you wake up in the morning and, and you're a geranium and you want to be a rose, you're in for a long day. You know, like it's a long day because you're just never going to be a rose, you know. You were made to be a geranium. Each one of us was sent out from the home office with a gift. And our whole purpose for being here is to deliver that gift to the world. And I, we have no idea how that gift should be given. We have no idea of that form, you know. We tend to judge people by what we can see, by our senses. But that's not who they are. They're much more than that. And when people say, well, you know, I'm pretty comfortable right now in AA. I, you know, I got a good job and things are going. Oh, it's wonderful. But being comfortable is not why we were sent out from the home office. We were sent out with much bigger questions. We need bigger answers. That's not the answer. The answers that we need, Bill Wilson's great comment that, you know, he said, the good is the enemy of the best. You know, you can settle into, like, this is comfortable and then keep doing it. But it doesn't mean that's what you're supposed to be doing, you know. And he also had another great quote, and that is, life gives us moments. And for those moments, we give our life. We're trading off our life for the actions that we are taking and the actions we're not taking. And so the reality here is learn to be right where you're at. We have some tremendous advantages being here. You know, Mark Twain once wrote that there's only two important dates in any human being's life. The first is the day you were born, because that puts you in the game. And the second date is when you know why you were born. And if you're sitting here tonight and you're a sober alcoholics and alcoholics anonymous, you're equipped with both of those dates. You know when you were born and you know why you were born. To love and to serve. It's, it, it doesn't get much easier than that. But you'll, you'll listen to people who try to confuse you. Oh, no, no, you, you're missing the whole point. You're missing the whole point. Yeah. Do you ever notice that we just have perceptions of people based on what they look like? You know, that's why the old timers used to tell that story about the guy with no arms and no legs. And he shows up at the house of ill repute. And the madam opens the door, disdainfully looks down at him and says, just what do you think you're going to do? And he looks up at her and he said, I rang the bell, didn't I? <laughs> so be careful with that newcomer regardless of how he or she looks they may be a bell ringer you know you just you just don't know Carol and I were in Texas two years ago at the state convention, and I was speaking, and afterward, during the talks, there was a fellow there, and he was getting up and down and kind of moving around. It turned out that everybody knew who he was. He had about 20-some years of sobriety. He was autistic, about 55 years old. And everybody who knew him just kind of made sure that he didn't become too disruptive. And when the meeting was over and we did all the deals that we do, Carol and I got on the elevator and we were going up 
And he asked me, he said, Ken, what's your sobriety day? And I said, it's July 5th, 1970. And he said, and you're in New York? And I said, yeah. He said, that was a sunny Sunday in New York. Well, and it was a sunny Sunday in New York. And this guy was like what they call a savant. He had a gift that you couldn't see unless you spent the time with him to listen to him and find out it was there all along. So don't, don't just quick and analyze people. Don't make comparisons. That's what keeps our ego alive. You know, well, they're not bright. He's not good looking. She's this. He's that. You know, like, the bottom line is that's what sustains our ego. Our ego is a misrepresentation of who we are. That's what it is. And we support it by making comparisons this, about any other human being. All God's kids have a gift. And they were sent here to do that, whatever it is. And it may not be something that's very noticeable. Guy told me one time when I was in business and just starting out and I had a little tiny business. He said, you know, I like to do business with big companies. Bigness is important. And I said, well, if bigness was important, Miss America would weigh 500 pounds. <laughs> and elephants would ruin the world, you know. But that's not what happens. That's not what happens. Everybody has something to give. And, and you don't want to miss out on that, you know. And you hear people say, well, I don't believe in God. We don't care. Nobody cares what you believe in. Nobody really cares, you know. I've seen people get sober who believed in God. I've seen people get sober who didn't believe in God. But I've never seen anyone get sober who thought they was God, you know. That's the deal. And if you have all these questions, hang out with a sponsor who's been here for a while, who knows the program from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, guy told me, asked me the other day at a meeting, he said, Ken, I don't know if I'm an alcoholic. I said, well, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, you had, there are days when I can drink and be at the bar for an hour or so and go home and I have no problems. Everything is okay with my wife, my job, and I don't get stopped by the police. He said, and then there are other days when I stop at the bar, I seem to have no control. I get totally out of control, and I have all kinds of problems. I stay too long. I get arrested. I have trouble with my wife. I have trouble at work. What do you think? I said, geez, you know, to me it's very easy. Just, just drink on those days you can control it. <laughs> But, but Ken, I don't know those days. <laughs> Welcome to Alcoholics Anonymous. <laughs> Nobody else knew those days either, you know? It's like, you know, Ken, how do you know God is the one that got you sober? He's the only one I asked. <laughs> I mean, this is not complicated. You hear people that want... <laughs> Like milk and a mouse, you know, they want to get hold of it. You know, you say, you know, milk and a mouse is a lot of effort for no milk at all, you know. But it keeps you busy, you know, it keeps you busy. <laughs> what are you doing? Oh, I'm really working on it now, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I had a sister who drank and ended up with cirrhosis, hemorrhaged for a couple of days from March, uh, from October into Christmas Day, and then died Christmas Day of 54 years old. And we buried her that year in 85. Christmas was on a Wednesday. We wakened her Thursday and Friday, and Saturday buried her. And then I flew back to San Diego for a New Year's Eve thing that I was to. And New Year's Day, I got a call. My brother was dead. Alcohol poisoning. So we lost my brother on, a, on New Year's and my sister on Christmas. Nobody has to explain the nature of this disease to me. No one has to tell me like, well, you know, maybe you just don't understand it. I do. I have a lot of respect for it. But I don't have more respect for it than I do than the one who has all power. That's, there's no competition. Alcohol is like a fighter who whispers in your ear, you can win the next round. Hang in there. You're going to win the next round. 
and he just lies because you're never going to win the next round. The rounds are going to get worse and worse. And before you know it, everybody you know is going to have left the, the sports arena. And you're going to be the only one in the ring with it. And you're going to find out you're never going to win. You're just going to win. That's just the way it is. In the meantime, it's to have some fun, laugh, enjoy. You know, pick somebody up. Get three or four people in your car and it immediately becomes a mobile psych unit. You hear the conversations and you're going, geez, I'm glad I got floor mats. You know, like, uh, you're like, oh, my God. You know, like, you, hit a, uh, you couldn't keep up with the conversation. I mean... You know, if, if it was a stock market thing, you know, I, I, the old timers used to look you in the eye and they would, as graciously as they could, being friendly to you, they'd say things like, you know, kid, I wish I could buy you for what I think you're work, worth and then sell you for what you think you're worth. <laughs> yeah. And the other was the stock market guys used to say, hey, kid, when your IQ gets to 50, sell. You know, like, uh, yeah. Very direct conversations, you know. My sponsor was the same way on the phone. I called him and I said, I can't see my wife and kids. Good. They need to break. You know, I, 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 I'm feeling so down. Well, that happens. And I'd go on for two or three minutes and then he'd just interrupt the conversation and say, hey, Kent, maybe you'll get lucky tonight and die. And he'd hang up. <laughs> and suddenly my family wasn't my issue. You know, I would, I would just immediately switch to a new issue. You know? In 1993, I had a, a son who contracted AIDS. And he came home to live with me. And he lived with me from the end of June to the beginning of September of 1993. Uh, and then he died in the hospital. And watching my son was the greatest event in my life because I watched him go from 190 pounds. There was nothing anyone could do. Uh, there was no relieving the pain. There was, and he wanted to maintain his dignity. So he wanted to use the bathroom as long as he could without having to use a bedpan. So to facilitate him being having access to the bathroom, I used to throw comforters and pillows on the floor. And he would crawl across the floor, fall asleep once in a while, just to get to the bathroom. And one day when I was watching this, which is not a thing a parent ever plans to do, it hit me so very clearly that my son was crawling on the floor to maintain And I had crawled on the floor and lost my dignity. So crawling on the floor was neither good nor bad. And that perception was the fact that we are only here. People are only loaned to us for a short period of time. There's no permanency here. There's absolutely no permanence. That's why man is the only one in the, in the, in the nature kingdom to make plastic flowers. <laughs> why? You know, they look good. You know, they're not real, you know. I mean, maybe you can figure that out. They are not real. You know, I, don't, I don't mean to spoil your day. It's a nice bouquet, you know. And you want to be a flower, be a rose, or be anything that has a scent to it. And that's what this whole deal is about. This whole thing is about leading us to the place where we know what love is. And love is something that no one will, will have to describe to you or can describe to you. There's a lot of words, but it's something you'll feel. And when you feel it, it will move you to transforming your whole way of living. You know, if you put water in a pot and put it on the stove and get it up to 99.9, you have very hot water. But at 100 degrees Fahrenheit, it becomes something else. And what it becomes is a whole new thing. And it doesn't matter where it came from. This is what it is now. And that's the whole deal of Alcoholics Anonymous. Our history is good if it helps someone. But we don't have to relive it every day just to prove how much we can beat up on ourselves. It's not a cross we have to bear. 
it's a it's a deal. It's it's like here, this bare screen behind me. A gal asked me to go see Titanic with her when it first came out, which was back in the nineties, I guess. And I and I said, I know how it ends. You know, I got uh, why, uh, why the hell would I want to go? You know. In AA, we say, you know, that's like changing deck chairs on the Titanic. You know, it's going down. You know, like so. I know how it ends. Why would I want to go? She goes. So we went to see it, and the movie was crowded. I mean, it was so packed. And when the movie was over and people were filing out, I I just don't like to get pushed and shoved anymore. So we just stayed there. And she said, how did you like the movie? I said, the movie was a good movie. It surprised me. I didn't know it was the story about this. I said, but the screen right now is... And she said, there's nothing on the screen. God is the screen. God is always there, always present. And we put all these things on the screen, but what's really real is ever-present. And when you stay here day in and day out, like if, if we wake up tomorrow and we get to do the 20th, holy jeez, what a surprise. Yeah. And you get to do another day of love and service in God's kingdom. And that's the whole deal here. It's not for us to become something else. It's for us to be happy with who we are. Get totally comfortable with the fact that I was sent out from the home office with a specific job. I don't want to get distracted. I don't want to get caught up in nonsense, you know? I mean, I can watch TV anytime if, and watch the news if I want insanity in my life, you know? But I don't have to. There's nothing that says I have to. So I think hopefully the beginning of this weekend is tonight. And I hope that somewhere you're starting to entertain two words, the word surrender and the word love, because they are so connected. The minute you stop fighting and you learn to stand still in the presence of God, you will experience the love of God. But you have to give up. He's always delivering the same message. I'm here whenever you're ready. I'm here. I'm here. I'm in the now. I'm here. I'm here. And if you get confused on how do you get there, you know, there's great lines in the literature. They're not deceptive. They're really pretty simple, but yet people make it sound so deceptive. Like, when I retire at night. I wonder when that would be, you know. I constructively review my day. Not destructively, I constructively review my day. See what I need to do. And, and it even gets more vague. Upon awakening, I ask for intuitive thought. That means I don't have to process it through the banjo machine, you know? I don't have to get into monkey thinking. I just, I just have to accept this is the way it is, you know? The lion is the king of the jungle, they tell us. And the lion thinks maybe he's the king. And the story goes that the lion went up to the tiger and said, who's the king of the jungle? And the tiger said, you, Mr. Lion. And then he went to the giraffe. Same question, same answer. And then he went to a zebra. Same question, same answer. Finally, he got to the elephant, and he said, who's the king of the jungle? And the elephant snagged him by the tail, swung him eight or ten times over his head, threw him about 50 yards, and hit him off a tree. And the lion just fell down in a heap. And the elephant turned around and started to walk away. And the lion stood up and brushed himself off. And he said... Just because you don't know the right answer, <laughs> that's no way to behave, you know? Yeah. And that's the way it is in life, you know? No matter who does what to us, we always come back with, well, you know, it's, an alcoholic doesn't care how bad the idea is as long as it's his. There's no measure. I don't care 
what you think, this is a good idea. You know? You know? As long as it comes from me. I have a friend who passed away who was from Texas, and he used to tell the story of the little miner going through town, a little dirt town in Texas, with his pack mule. And this Texan comes out of the bar, and he's been drinking all day, and he has two six-guns, and he starts shooting at the miner, and he said, if you don't know how to dance, you better learn. And he shot at his feet, and the miner was moving, and finally the guns went click, click. The miner reached over and patted his mule and took out a shotgun. And he said to that cowboy, did you ever kiss a mule's ass? <laughs> And he said, no, but I always wanted to. <laughs> Our job this weekend is really simple. Laugh a lot, love a lot, surrender, and try to remember that we're not the center of the universe and that there is one who has all power. God bless you.